0: Amen. I love the last line of that. Never no never no never forsake. Aren't you glad we have a God who will never forsake us? Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see each one here this morning. Glad that you're in the house of God. I want you to take your Bibles and turn again with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning, let me say just take a moment to say how much we appreciate All of our volunteers and workers and staff that were involved in our children's camp, the early portion of this week, and um, they did an outstanding job. You know, I I came over a few times through the week and saw all that was going on, and I have to just say I was a little bit envious, a little bit jealous. When I was a kid, they gave us Kool-Aid and Popsicle sticks, and um, we had to eat the Popsicle and then use the Popsicle stick to make something. And um, these guys, man, they had a great time this week. Twelve children trusted to receive Christ as their Savior this week. And I'm um, praising. Yeah, you can go ahead. That's good. And give them. If you can't clap over somebody getting saved, I don't think we ought to clap over anything, but that's good. And um, praise the Lord for those decisions. Praise the Lord for the lives that were touched and the families that were touched uh, through our camp this week. And be praying for our student camp coming up this week. And I'm praying that God will use that as well. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to just read a few of these verses this morning. You're familiar with these. Verse 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When we think about God's presence in our home, it is one thing to know God's purpose for the family, as we saw last Sunday, to know why God has designed the family The way that he has. But it's another thing altogether to truly experience the presence of God in our families and in our homes. You know, there's a plaque that's pretty familiar. Some of you may have it in your homes, and I've seen it on a number of walls over the years that says, Christ is the head of this house. He's the unseen guest at every meal and the silent listener to every conversation. As we think about that phrase, Christ is the head of this house. It's one thing to say that Christ is the head of our home, the head of our house. It's another thing altogether for it to be a reality. It is one thing to know Christ or know about Christ. It's another thing altogether to know him. I remember years ago a, a an older pastor that was just a sweet gentleman, but he had this this characteristic that I often think about and laugh about. If you were ever going to be in a service where a well-known preacher was preaching, he would always say, uh, give my regards to, and he would name that preacher. If we were going to be at a conference and Charles Stanley was going to be preaching, he would say, give my regards to Charles. And as if, you know, you just knew this man knew Charles Stanley. And, of course, I found out over the years, and, of course, I didn't often get a chance to walk up and talk to the, the main speakers at great conferences. Uh, he really didn't know them personally. If you had asked that person about them, they would have said, Who? Who is that? They He knew about them, but he didn't know them. Very often we talk about God's presence in our home, about God being Christ, being the head of our homes, but do we truly know him? Is it a reality. As we look at this passage, and we're sort of drawing our focus in, our our title is uh, Bringing the Family into Focus. As we do that, we began last week with some basic general Bible principles that give us God's purpose for the family. As we draw in closer to this text, we're going to see this morning how we need to experience God's presence in our homes. In the future, we'll come back and we'll get in more in focus on this passage and see God's plan for the family, the actual, what a marriage looks like, what a parent and child relationship looks like. But this morning, I want you to think with me about the presence of God in our homes. Are our families, are our homes places where the presence of God is genuinely experienced on a regular basis, on a daily basis? If we are going to understand that, we need to understand two aspects of the nature of the home, and I want to just mention those to you briefly this morning, and then I want to look at this passage, and I want you to see four things that sort of flow together in our understanding and experiencing the presence of God. The first thing about the home that we need to understand is that there is a spiritual aspect or the spiritual nature of the family. The family is not merely a social construct that has developed over the years. It was developed and designed by God, and there is a spiritual aspect to it. It's not just providing a place to live and food to eat and clothes to wear, and it's not just meeting the physical and emotional needs of our family. There is a spiritual aspect that we cannot neglect and we cannot ignore. The second aspect of the family is that it is sacred in nature, and that is that it is Related to God that the experience our relationships within the family unit our relationships are connected and understood in our relationship to God So it's spiritual and it's sacred But in this passage, I want you to see four things this morning. We're going to see the that we are empowered by the spirit For spiritual works in spiritual relationships that receive a spiritual reward Let's start with the first part of that, and that's the text that we read, Ephesians 5:18. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He then begins to talk about the interpersonal relationships that we have as human beings, primarily speaking about the family. Why? Because we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the family life, to live in these relationships in a way that brings glory and honor to God. What was God's purpose for the family? To bring glory to himself, to manifest to this world what his kind of love looks like, to manifest to this world who has never naturally seen grace, It is an expression of grace between a husband and a wife, that grace-filled love, and between parents and children and children and parents, the grace at work in us. So if we are going to experience that, it requires the filling of the Spirit, and that is why Paul makes a theological statement and then talks about the family. A lot of people, they hear the word theology and they want to just throw everything out. Their, Their eyes glaze over and their ears turn off, and they don't understand that theology is eminently practical and it is never more evidence than when it takes place in the family because where is the first expression of what God is doing in us the people that we are around the most the people that we interact with and engage with we need to be filled with the spirit what does it mean to be filled with the spirit to be filled with the spirit is simply put just to be under the control of the holy spirit and what does the spirit do in our hearts and lives Let me pause a minute and say that the filling of the Spirit is to be the birthright and the experience of every single child of God. This is not something for just a select few. This is for every believer. This command, be filled with the Spirit, to be under the control of the Spirit when He begins to work in us and work through us. What is the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it is that love that is expressed between members of a family. Where does that come from? Does it come because we choose in a service or a marriage conference after reading a great book that we're going to be more loving? Now, we may be convicted by that and we may be moved by that, but you and I are not going to produce in ourselves this kind of love. There is only one place that it comes from, and that is through the Holy Spirit of God at work within us as the holy spirit works through us he begins to produce that love so being filled with the spirit there must be spirit power for this kind to be to experience the presence of god in a family whenever i talk with folks about their family whether it's parents about their children or children about their parents or spouses about each other the first thing especially if a person is a child of god the first thing that they need to be challenged about, and you and I need to be challenged about, is are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, let me pause a minute. Does that mean that an unbeliever can't have a good home, can't have a good family? No. There are some good families that seem to love each other and care for each other, and they're in good shape to all outward appearances. And they're not believers at all. But I will tell you that we have accepted the idea of a good family in place of what God has for us, and that is a godly family. And we will never have a godly family that fulfills the purpose that God has for the family apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives as individuals No family will experience the presence of God any more than the individuals within that family are filled with the Holy Spirit and under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit controls our words and our actions and our attitudes and our emotions. And wouldn't all of our families probably be a little better off if our words and our actions and our attitudes and our emotions were under the control of the Holy Spirit? So we need that spirit power. Why do we need that spirit power? Because the work and the things that we do within the family are spiritual works. We need spiritual power for spiritual works. Drop down to chapter 6. Now, in chapter 6, after he finishes with the family, he goes on to talk about servants and masters, or in our, in our context, we would think of it as bosses and, and employees notice a principle that he gives here that is true for all believers. In verse 5, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers. In other words, not doing just enough on the job to please the boss and let him think that you've done a good job, but as the servants of Christ. In other words, the task that you are given, you are to do that as if you were doing it for Christ, as if Christ was your boss, not your human boss. Christ is the one. You're doing it for him. If you knew, let's just pause a minute with this. If you knew that on the job, your task that you were assigned, you were doing that and you were going to be inspected by Christ instead of your human boss, do you think you would do a pretty good job at it. You do your best. Absolutely. Why? Because Jesus is going to be inspecting this. Jesus is looking at this. Let me tell you, he already is. And so he says, do this as to the Lord, doing the will of God from the heart. Do this as servants of Christ. So what is this principle? This principle is that the menial common task that I do on the job is really I should be doing that to the Lord or for the Lord. Now, let's put that in the context of the family. Does that apply to us as as families? Well, Paul will say elsewhere, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. What does that do? That means that within the family, within the home, everything that I do is a service for God. Everything that I do is a service for God to my savior now are there any common menial small tasks in the family can i get an amen from the from the moms probably they're the ones that generally end up doing all the taking care of the kids including the adult kid in the family amen amen ladies are there a lot of a lot of common small well Any of us who've ever had um, what I call those, you know, pint-sized invaders, they come into your home, they eat, they make a mess, they take over. You spend most of your life taking care of them. If an adult did that, you'd kick them out within just a few minutes. But they're your kids, and so you, you do all these things for them. Can you change a diaper to the glory of God? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. Can you take out the trash for the glory of God? Yes. Boy, y'all are getting quiet on me. Men are looks. I've got some men shooting me some ugly looks. Every task within our... Why? I can do some tasks because I love my family, not because I really want to do them. I suspect most of us understand that. When I do that, I may do it begrudgingly. I may do it with a scowl on my face. I may do it (sighs) well. You know, with the idea that somewhere down the road I'm gonna call in that favor and the next time somebody else is gonna to have to do something for me because I did something for them. When I was a kid, we used to sit around and we would we probably would have thirsted to death waiting on the first person who would go into the kitchen to get a drink. Y'all probably do the same thing, don't you? Hey, while you're up, how about getting me something to drink while you're in there? And we would all sit there. Thirsty as all get out, but we wouldn't get up because we knew as soon as we got up, we were going to be getting four drinks instead of one. And as soon as anybody even shifted in their seat, hey, while you're up, wasn't getting up, but I am now. We do those things and we do it out of a sense of obligation or we do it because we say, I I do love my family. But what if we did those small, menial, common tasks because we love God and because we wanted to express the kind of love that God has for us? Has God done for us? Yes or no? Has God been gracious to us? Yes or no? Or amen, say something. Has God done for us even when we didn't deserve it? So when we do, when we act in that way, who are we looking like? Who are we demonstrating the grace of? Who are we demonstrating the love of? And when we do that, we understand that our task, whether it's on the job, but specifically in our thinking in the family, those things become service for God. Now, when I do those things, it glorifies God. It expresses grace to my family, and it is good for me. But it starts with giving glory to God. Now, is that easy to do? Am I a master of this? Absolutely not. I would love to tell you that every time I have the opportunity to serve my family, I do so joyfully and cheerfully and full of the Holy Spirit. But that would be a lie, and I would quench the Holy Spirit. I'd have to start all over again. I would love to tell you that. Why is it so hard? Because any time we start putting someone else before ourselves, our flesh starts to rise up, and our flesh says, Why should I have to get up and do this? Why should I have to take care of this? No one notices. No one cares. And it is then that we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. Spiritual power for spiritual tasks. Why? Because, number three, we are in spiritual relationships. I'm going to walk you through this quickly, but look at these verses that Paul will Frame our family relationships in. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as what? Unto the Lord. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as who? Christ. Boy, that's a tall order, guys. That's our challenge. As Christ. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord. For this is right. Verse 4, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of what? The Lord. Every relationship within the family is a spiritual relationship, and the family becomes a place. It nurtures the spiritual growth of the family. The family is like a greenhouse. A greenhouse does not cause growth in plants. What causes growth in plants? Well, The food that plants get from the nutrients from the soil, the the moisture, and the sunlight. But a greenhouse provides an environment that is conducive to growth. And the family, you cannot force one another to grow in Christ, but you can create an environment when there is spirit-empowered spiritual works taking place. Those spiritual relationships can become a place that is conducive for growth whether it's the parents helping the children to grow, the wife being a sanctifying influence on the the husband, the husband being a sanctifying influence on his wife. And let me tell you, parents, if you haven't figured out that your children are part of God's sanctifying work in your life, then you've missed out on something special (laughs) because they will sanctify you. They They will bring out, they will make you aware of the most Grievous sins that you thought you would never experience. How many parents can testify to the fact that all the things you thought your parents were terrible for doing when you were a kid started popping out of your mouth as soon as you had kids? Didn't that happen? What brought that out? That was God using your children to make you aware of some change that needed to take place. They sanctify us so. It's spiritual relationships. It is spirit power for spiritual work within spiritual relationships. Do you understand why we need to be filled with the Spirit every single day? A Spirit-filled father modeling Christ and glorifying God. A Spirit-filled husband modeling Christ to his wife and glorifying God. A spirit-filled mother and wife modeling Christ and bringing glory to God by the grace and love that she shows to her family. Spirit-filled children who are modeling Christ and glorifying God. That's how we experience the presence of God in our families. Some people think that experiencing the presence of God in your home is by your decorations, and I'm not against using verses of Scripture and putting them on the wall. That's a great biblical thing to do. But that's not the presence of God. Some people think it's maybe, I don't know, having a, having a, a an altar built in the middle of their home where they gather and kneel for prayer and have family altar. At. Nothing wrong if you choose to do that. But that may, not be, that may be part of the place you experience the presence of God Some people think it is just having Christianese decorations. Go down to the Christian bookstore. They've got everything sanctified down there. They've got Jesus potpourri, and you can sprinkle it everywhere and gather your family around the stove and roast marshmallows over the open burner flame and sing kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. That's doing those things. That's not the presence of God in the family presence of God in the family is when the individuals within the family are filled with the Holy Spirit and are engaging with each other in a Spirit-filled way. Spirit-empowered, Spirit-works, and Spirit-relationship. What happens then? They receive spiritual reward. Look in verse 7 of chapter 6. With goodwill, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. Again, he's speaking about our labor in the workplace. Verse 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does. Let me pause there a minute. Knowing that whatever good thing any man does. That includes those small menial tasks that we do for family. It may be a parent doing something for a child. It may be a child obeying their parent. It may be an adult parent caring for an older adult, adult their parents. It may be a husband serving a wife, doing for her a task that he knows she doesn't care about to do. It may be a father or a mother working in the workplace to provide, to meet the needs of their family all of these things, any good thing. A good thing is a good thing done in a good way for a good reason. You can do a good thing for a bad reason. But we're talking here about those good things done for the glory of God. And so when we do those good things, any good thing, whatsoever good thing any man does, any any person, any believer, any husband, any wife, any father, any mother, any child, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. The same shall he receive of the Lord. We need the power of the Holy Spirit because living this kind of family life is hard. It is difficult. It is difficult and challenging and really you could say impossible, apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And often when we do something, when we serve one another within the family and we don't get acknowledgement or recognition for it, what is our first response? What's our first thought? Well, that's the last time I'll do that for them. Wife comes home and the husband has worked hard trying to vacuum the crumbs around his recliner. I mean, forget the rest of the house that probably needs vacuuming and cleaning and the trash that needs to be taken out, but he vacuumed around the recliner, and she doesn't notice. Well, that's the last time I'll ever do that for her. I know that's never happened in any of y'all's homes. That could explain why some of the men are saying, no, that's why I don't do things around the home. We don't get that recognition. Often moms do things that go completely unnoticed, For their husband or their children. We serve one another. We give of one another. And we do those spiritual works. And we think, oh, if they would just recognize. If they would just acknowledge. Here's the beauty of spirit-empowered work. Spirit-empowered spiritual work done for the glory of God. Who is the one that Paul said will reward? Those unseen, those unrecognized, those unacknowledged deeds. He says, any good, whatsoever good thing done by any person, any man, the same shall he receive of the Lord. God's the one that's keeping score. God's the one that sees that, and it's his acknowledgement that matters. Our conduct our actions, our work in the home is service to God and our obedience does not go unnoticed. God is the one that rewards. So spirit-empowered, spiritual work, in spiritual relationships, receives spiritual reward. You know what that does for me? That helps me to enjoy and realize That when I have a task to do, it's for the glory of God. God's the one that I'm doing this for. Now, I may also do it because I love my wife or I love my sons. And that adds to it. But what if they don't respond? Very often in families, one of the big challenges is one spouse does something for another And they don't acknowledge it or they don't give it the value that the first spouse put on it. Sometimes it's they're speaking a different language, different love language. And they're saying one thing and they're saying very loudly, I love you, but they're saying it in in one love language and another one's hearing it in something else and they think, oh, they don't really love me. I don't have to receive that affirmation. I don't have to receive that respect. I am to love as God loved me. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. And God is watching. God sees what we do, and he is the one that rewards. I heard the story years ago of a man by the name of Bill Glass. To my knowledge, he is still serving in ministry, but in his earlier years, he played uh, football in the NFL some decades ago. He was a an offensive lineman, and he was playing in a championship game. His team was on the end zone line, ready to score. If they scored the touchdown, they won the game they won the championship. It was a cold day. The turf was frozen. There was frost, some you know, ice on the ground. And the coach called a timeout and he called him over to the side and he said, Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna, the quarterback's gonna run right up the middle, try to score the touchdown. He said, Bill, he said, You're right there on the front line. He said, I want you to open up a hole big enough for that quarterback's grandmother to roll her wheelchair through. So Bill got back out on the line. When he got down in his stance, he said he looked across the line and right directly across from him, he said, this was no exaggeration, was the biggest man in the NFL. Right next to him was the second biggest man in the NFL. He said, as he was down in his prayer stance... (laughs) He said he came up out of that, and he said he was praying, Lord, you've got to help me. He said, I hit that, that biggest man. He said, I hit him as hard as I could. And he said, as I hit him, he said his foot slipped on some frozen turf, and he said he started to fall back. He said, I drove right into him. And he said, as he was flailing around with his arms, he grabbed a hold of the second biggest man in the NFL, and he pulled him down with him. The only thing was, he Bill said, was that as they fell, he fell right up underneath them. He said, the biggest man in the NFL landed on top of me. And the second biggest man landed on top of him. And he said, then the rest of the team landed on top of them. As he was falling, he said, the last thing I saw was the quarterback prancing into the end zone untouched. He said, after they pulled everybody off, and he said, I got up, and he said, I started to look around. He said, people, I could hear them cheering. He said, I had to pull the, the turf out of my mask to be able to see what was going on. He said, I looked over in the end zone, and there stood that quarterback with the rest of the team around him, congratulating him and patting him on the back. He said, everybody in the stands all around, they were cheering the quarterback. And he said, I looked over to the sidelines, and he said, the coach was not looking at the quarterback. The coach was looking at me. And he said, the coach looked at me, and he said, He gave me the okay sign of the thumbs up. You see, it doesn't matter when we're serving God in our families. We may feel like nobody's noticing. We may feel like nobody cares. We may feel like the people we love the most don't even notice or care. But we're not doing it for them. We're doing it because we love God. We're doing it to show the love of God. We're doing it to show the grace of God. And whatever good thing any person does, they will receive reward from the Lord. He's the one that matters. He's the one that sees. He's the one that will reward. Spirit-empowered, spiritual work done in spiritual relationships will receive a spiritual reward. Let me ask you something this morning. If every member of your family was filled with the Spirit, serving each other out of a desire to glorify God, do you think you'd experience the presence of God in your home? If every home in our church was experiencing the presence of God in this way, do you think when we came together at church that we would experience the presence of God? Do you think when we went out into our community, to our jobs, to our schools? Would they experience the presence of God? Would they see that God's presence was evidenced in our lives? The presence of God in our homes. Will you bow with me for prayer? Mom, Dad, Is your home a spirit-filled home? I'm not asking you, do you have well-behaved children? You've worked to modify their behavior so they've learned to follow all the rules. Are they being transformed by the Spirit of God? Is your marriage being transformed by the Spirit of God? Is your life being transformed by the Spirit of God? Are you seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? Children, are you seeking to be filled with the Spirit in obedience to your parents? to obey them as unto the Lord, to respect and honor your parents is to respect and honor God. Are you, is your home a God-honoring, Spirit-filled home? Is your marriage, I'm not asking you you get along with your husband or your wife, I'm asking, are you filled with the Spirit? This is spiritual stuff, people, and without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. This morning as God speaks to your heart, God may move for you to come and kneel at this altar and just say, by God's grace, I want to have the presence of God in my family. I want to have the presence of God in my marriage. I want to have the presence of God in my home. I want to be filled with the Spirit, and I want to be a Spirit-filled dad, a Spirit-filled mom, a Spirit-filled husband or wife, a Spirit-filled son or daughter. As God speaks to your heart, I want to invite you to come. Let's stand to our feet as Darren plays this